Well, I grew up in uh, in Dunedin, in Otago, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and I lived there until the age of 16 before I moved over to the UK. And um, I spent a bit of time in different places in the UK and eventually went to university and studied fine art and then did a master's in, in science. And during this time of study and beforehand as well, I noticed how my relationship with the night sky was different, living in highly populated spaces and with high levels of light pollution. Hi, with a flick of a switch, we turn night to day and day to night. We can change seasons, actions and states of mind. Light is everywhere, used endlessly and very much a part of our modern world. But what is it? How do we use it? And how is it changing our environment and our behaviours? A starfield sky used to be our evening's entertainment. Now it's Netflix, iPads or even a podcast. When was the last time you looked at the night sky? I'm Marnie Og and this is Dark Sky Conversations, the podcast that brings people and science together to shed light. Doing a countdown. Gosh, I've never done this before. <laughs> Welcome, listeners, to Dark Sky Conversations as we try a new technology with Riverside. And my guest today is Ms. Louise Beer, who is joining us all the way from, let me just guess, is it the UK? Are you still there, Louise? Or Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I... so, yeah. <laughs> so we are going to discuss your amazing work, but tell me, a little bit about yourself, because I always think that guests can talk much better about themselves than I could ever introduce yourself. You call yourself an artist and curator. So why and how is that involved in dark skies? And you involved in dark skies? Tell us how it all comes together. Well, I grew up in, uh, in Dunedin, in Otago, in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and I lived there until the age of 16 before I moved over to the UK. And um, I spent a bit of time in different places in the UK and eventually went to university and studied fine art and then did a master's in, in science. And during this time of study and beforehand as well, I noticed how my relationship with the night sky was different, living in highly populated spaces and with high levels of light pollution. And made me often think about my experience of the night sky in New Zealand and how important that was for me in my development of becoming who I am, having this constant reminder of the cosmic backdrop of the landscape that I was growing up in. So you say it was different. How how so? What what was it? What stood out to you as being different? I mean, yes, obviously light pollution, but what 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 was it? How how did it make you feel? I really noticed the lack of star visible stars in the sky, but it wasn't so much that. It was that when I was growing up in New Zealand, I really assumed that everybody around the world shared this experience of looking out into the night sky and thinking about a place in the Earth's ecosystem and Earth's place within the solar system, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and so, it kind of talked to me that people actually have 
in different parts of the world, like a really different fundamental experience of thinking about our place as a human being against the um, backdrop of the night sky, I guess. And when I moved over to the UK and lived in different cities, including London for about 15 years, I was really blown away that people haven't had that experience. And um, recently I have I was on a residency with a group of international artists and many of them had never seen the Milky Way before. And to me that's like a um, having having experienced that many times in my life it feels like a a really important part of being a human being but mm. obviously so many people around the yeah I think there's a bit of a delay on the line so apologies for that as you say that I'm always cognizant of uh, Clive Ruggles who's an archaeoastronomer and has done a lot of research on you know the people's connection historically to the night sky and as he says, you know, this a night sky wasn't extraordinary. It was what everybody had. Okay, you might have had cloudy nights or, you know, bad evenings where it was raining or whatever, but normally you could see a full night sky. And I think, I think it's really powerful that you've experienced that that disconnection, you know, in in your own lifetime, in your own experience, that people you know people may never have had that connection to the night sky, but you literally felt that that power of being disconnected from what you thought was normal. And mm-hmm. yeah, ex- that's exactly yeah. it. And as we head into the future and uh, pollute our skies even more, it's going to perhaps that experience of seeing the Milky Way and having that connection to the night sky may be something that exists only for previous generations. And I think there is a link between having that kind of experience if it's once in your life or many times in your life and understanding the cosmic significance of the climate crisis as well. And I think as we erode the um, the contextualization of life on Earth by polluting the skies with light and different kinds of pollution, I think it would be harder for people to understand how important it is to protect Earth's environments as we try to slow the um, speed of the climate crisis as well. Mm. So as you say that, I feel really... um, my trigger to be hopeful and to say to people, you know, if we use education and if we have enough information, we can actually make a difference. We can we can stop this before we pollute the night sky completely and we all completely disconnect from it. Do you agree with that or do you feel differently? Yeah, I think light pollution is one thing that we really can tackle. Um you know, we can individually and collectively make changes that have a really immediate effect. Um, I think it is possible and I definitely don't want it to be lost as being seen as not an important part of climate activism because it really, really is, I think. I think that that's an important message and one that I kind of like to stress is that a, light pollution is something that we can change fairly easily. 
we have technologies that can stop it. We know we know we've got the knowledge to do it now before we we completely destroy our night sky or our night environment. But B, it's something that we all benefit from and that we, you know, there's so many values of the nighttime environment. So yeah. Sorry, I'm just warming up. I've turned my heater on and I'm absolutely roasting. <laughs> anyway, so what I really wanted to do and, and how we we came to know each other was through your art, artistic works. And before we actually talk about specific activities that you've done to, to really bring people to the night sky and possibly we might actually tap into whether you think your target audience is people that have never known a night sky or have known it and have felt the disconnection like you. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about your art itself because it's a really, you know, you've got a fabulous combination of different artistic skills. How did you get them and how do you use them to help relay your message? Well, in my practice, I use photography, sound, moving image and installation. And I started using light in my practice during my bachelor's and I had always had this interest in astronomy throughout my life because my father really instilled into me how important it is to think about the questions about things like uh, if there's an edge to the universe or the age of the universe. Mm. And when I was growing up, he had these amazing diagrams of where Earth is positioned within the solar system and in the wider universe. And these kind of graphic images used to equally terrify me. And um, I just <laughs> found it really exciting as well to think about these things like this. So, What terrified you? Was it, when I was little and the thought of the universe being infinite and, you know, there's no beginning and no end, that, that, that terrified me. Was it something like that for you? Or? Yeah, exactly. I found it exhilarating and terrifying and I think it... Mm -hmm. It just helps to frame your like problems and experiences, I guess, in that kind of with a cosmic like perspective of your own life as well. And I think that's a really um, actually a really helpful tool to go throughout your life with as well. Um, and my father also had a telescope, and we used to look out from his um, garden to different things in the night sky, and it was. The night sky was always just like a constant kind of backdrop, you know, as the sun set over the landscape, the next experience of the environment would be this like incredible night sky. And it was just something that was always there. But, <clears throat> was it always um, in New Zealand? Yes, yeah. And then when I moved over to the UK, I was really like just really shocked that people didn't have that same experience because it, to me it was such like a fundamental part of understanding what it is to be a human being in a Earth, mm -hmm. um, Earth's environments. Um, so I find that really interesting that people have completely varied experiences and relationships with the night sky throughout their lives. And um, so, yeah, there's lots of elements to my practice, but I'm really interested in uh, earth, astronomy and light as the three main bases of my or thematic kind of themes going through my practice. And earth, 
I'm looking at the climate crisis and astronomy, how we have understood uh, the night skies through history. And that includes how light pollution is going to affect how we understand the importance of the climate crisis as well. And light, light as a, a symbol of how we understand Earth and space, I guess, now and through history as well. And more recently, I have been asking different people to tell me about their experiences of the night sky as well. And that is mm. people in different types of settings. So I've done a project called Memories of the Milky Way, where I ask people to write a submission form on my website to tell me about a like poignant experience of the night sky <clears throat> from any moment of their life and how their experience of the night sky has changed since that time. And, and what that's did really you get? Yeah. What, um, what did I've you get had, from yeah. I've had lots and lots of people talking about their childhood and how in the UK, most of the responses are from people in the UK, how they used to be able to have a, like a spectacular view of the night sky and how this has been massively eroded throughout their adult lives. And I had one really interesting... Do you have any idea of how old that... Have your, do you have any idea of how old your participants are? Yeah, I would say most of the respondents are probably in their 40s or 50s, which is quite interesting. Okay, so it's happened even in that... 30-year period or something, 30, 40-year yeah. period. And obviously people move, they might have lived in a rural place and then moved, you know, into cities as well. And I've had people talking about how artificial light was put in for, for safety reasons and how it massively changed their relationship with the night sky and their local space as well. And um, my stepfather actually has a really interesting story about looking at Halley's Comet in, I think it was in 1986, in, in a place called Oahu in the Mackenzie country in New Zealand where he had built one of the first houses. So there was only a handful of houses in this completely remote mountainous area. And he could see Halley's Comet and then I think the streetlights were turned on for the first time and he could no longer see Hayley's Comet. But I'll have to double-check with him the details of that story. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so my practice has many different facets, but it's really fundamentally about trying to understand the experience of being a human being on a planet within space and also going through that with this understanding of the climate crisis and the kind of disconnection mm. of how we understand the cosmic significance of eroding Earth's environments. Mm. So to go to my question a second ago, do you have a target mar market or target audience? Do you feel that it's attracting people that have and have a love of the night sky that are drawn to it and then you know can relay their stories about the night sky or their loss of loss of the night sky is it attracting people that have had no experience of the night sky and then um, getting curious to go out and see it and experience it? and how do you know how what sort of feedback are you getting from your your exhibitions 
That is a really interesting question. Uh, I think my work often uh, has the biggest impact on people who have at one point in their lives had a experience of like a beautifully clear night sky. And that's been something I've been thinking about more recently because for one of my res online residencies that I'm doing, I asked a group of people to go out into the night, like go out outside at night time and as part of a bigger activity to write down how they, what they think about the climate crisis whilst looking out into the night sky. And one of the curators I was talking to about it lives in London, in central London and near a stadium with it emits huge red lights into the night sky. And she said she didn't feel compelled to do the activity because she doesn't feel like she has any relationship with the night sky at all. So I think there is a big group of people who don't understand why people are interested in the kind of experience you can have whilst being outside at night time. And I mm. think it's those people that we need to get interested to before it's too late, I guess. Before yeah. Did you have any ideas on how that may may come about? How how could you influence that? Or how could anybody, we, me, yeah. I think through well, I think through experiential artworks that can be a good way to pique somebody's interest and then they might go and seek out that experience yeah so that's what I try and do with my installation work and my sound work as well is to try and sort of subtly draw people in then for them to then take away a kind of even if it's just a seed of interest but also things like looking at the moon through a telescope. I've run many different astronomy events with my um, collaborators, with a couple of my collectives. And, you know, we've done that from many rooftops in central London. You can, as far as I know, you can see the moon from anywhere on Earth, no matter how polluted it is. So I think just having um, telescopes more accessible, I guess, even in highly light polluted cities can still draw people in who otherwise wouldn't seek it out, I guess. I'm also really keen to talk about your work that you've done with people who are really engaged with dark skies. So your work, The Cosmic Contemplation of a Planetary Catastrophe, was asking people specifically involved with dark skies and astronomy their impressions of the age, you know, well, you tell me of their knowledge of astronomy and how it impacts their perspective of, of the world and, and climate change. How did that come about and what sort of, who, who, who were you working with? Yeah, with thanks for project? asking about this project because I'm so excited about it. Yeah. Um, it really came about because I many years used to spend a lot of time running these astronomy events and with different astronomers, some more than others, and one astronomer that I've worked with over many years is called Paul Hill of Serious Astronomy. And as we were running these events, I was always like chatting with him about different things in astronomy, but also about how it 
made him think about Earth and the climate crisis in different ways. And have also run lots of online events with different astronomers and scientists throughout lockdown as well. And I was kind of thinking about how my question is always, my questions to them is often about um, how they're like understanding their kind of knowledge about these things helps to shape their view of the climate crisis. And I thought this is actually the perfect idea for a project because I had been having all of these conversations as well over Zoom for the last couple of years with different astronomers. So um, I just started the project a couple of weeks ago and I have reached out to lots of astronomers and people who work with the night, night sky in some respect to tell me about what they think about the climate crisis and how their knowledge, how they can kind of exist within these two realities. So understanding things like black holes and the age of the universe, the like future of the universe, these huge periods of time and how that relates to the rarity of life in the universe as far as we know or if there might be life everywhere. Um, but how they can make sense with this alongside the like speeding up of the climate catastrophe, how these how they can exist in these two different spheres at the same time. Mm. And I have been quite careful about who I've chosen to ask because I I really want to ask people who I'm not sure if they have a huge interest in the climate crisis, like I know that you do, and you're a, somebody I'd really love to hear um, about in that regard as well. But I'm also really keen <laughs> to talk to scientists who are like really focused on their field, yeah, and to try and get them to think in another way and just to hear what they say about it because I think it's so interesting. And the responses I've had have just been really wonderful and you can read them on my website and I hope to accumulate more and more and hopefully turn it into some kind of publication eventually with the permission of all the contributors, of course. You're listening to Dark Sky Conversations with Marnie Ong. We'll be right back after these messages from our sponsors. I think it's a really interesting question because I'm married to a scientist who has spent his whole life looking through telescopes and passionately advocating science and the benefits of it. And I think before I met him and before I even became involved with dark skies and, and my understanding of, you know, the night heritage, et cetera, I had a real feeling of existential crises around the climate catastrophe and and feeling that we couldn't so solve it we couldn't do it you know the earth would come back and bite us basically for what we've done to it and and i think there's still a part of me that feels well you know maybe we're just on this path maybe mm -hmm. it will right itself without us and yet my partner will tell me that we are such clever people you know we've put man on the men on the moon not women yet but we will We've explored the solar system in so many different ways that we have the capacity and the capability to actually make, you know, this all work. And I think 
that's what inspires me then to keep working with education and, and working with people and winning hearts and minds to get them out and doing and really having that dark sky, that nighttime experience. Even if it's in your own back street in London that's light polluted, there's some sort of element there that can teach you something and give you an experience that I think 90% of us don't ex- don't have because we walk into our house at night, turn our lights on and, and you know, we're absorbed into our home environment and forget what's happening outdoors basically. So, yeah, you've got both my husband and and my opinions there and I think um it's and I'm really I've read a few of the 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 comments on there on your website reflect really interesting perspectives and and they're as diverse as the people are themselves who are studying I think as well. So, yeah, I encourage everybody yeah. to go on. Yeah, read. I've been trying to um kind of keep it a secret the responses because I didn't want the other respondents to be influenced by what they read but I just want I just really want to like hear the unedited um, version of what people with this kind of knowledge have because I think it's so fascinating to, to to try and live within these two spheres and yeah mm. And I guess the thing is it doesn't have to be by, you know, can't be and can be and or. It doesn't have to be one or the other. You know, it is an experience that we can, as you were saying it before, I was thinking about all the astronomers that I worked with over the years who are Mm. often asked the question, do you believe in God? And there's this feeling that astronomers shouldn't believe in God because they're scientists and that they have, you know, they have worldly obvious obvious you know experiences of looking through telescopes and seeing how things are created and and therefore god might not have to exist and and i'm not religious i'm agnostic i guess i sit on the fence with it but i can see that there are some people who have a really rich passion for astronomy who are also really true believers of christianity and so both can exist both can be you can have a feeling that you know, we might be disconnecting from the earth, but also that the world might be teaching us something through the night sky as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, it's complex. So, Louise, I'd love to talk about your soundscapes and I'm really particularly keen to invite our audience to participate in this. So maybe you could tell us about the one that you've allowed us to to use for the podcast and how people should experience it and how it came to be. Okay, the sound piece is called A Memory of Darkness and it was developed using field recordings that I took in a place called Hiniwai Reserve on the Banks Peninsula just near to Christchurch in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And I took these recordings whilst on a residency for one of my collectors, Pale Blue Duck Collective, um, in I think it was in late 2020, muddled with all the years of the pandemic. <laughs> oh, it's time that doesn't exist after um, COVID. So the sound piece yeah. was recorded during that residency, but it was actually developed for a different residency that I was doing with the Delfina Foundation in London. And I was out in Hiniwai Reserve completely alone staying in a little wooden hut in this place where they are trying to regenerate the native forest and 
the bird life and insect life and everything that so much of it has been lost through human occupation of the islands. And I had been there for I had been there for the day listening sort of deep listening to the bird song that I had been doing these field recordings of. And I was really concentrating on the that project and trying to get the best field recordings that I could. And I hadn't really thought about the night sky that was coming, unusually for me, because obviously so much of my art practice is connected to the night sky. Um, and as the sunset and the sort of warm breeze was rustling through the amazing trees and plants in this space, um, I was I had this experience of clearest night sky I've ever seen in my life and there must be so little light pollution there because there's it was in a valley that looks out over the Pacific Ocean and there was no houses or buildings or anything that emitted any kind of light yeah it was really incredible and I didn't have cell phone reception so I couldn't share the moment I couldn't tell anyone about it which I think is a really important factor so I was just there on my own in the pitch black like not being able to see like something two meters away because it was so dark and I just had this completely overwhelming experience of both wonderment and ecological grief I guess because I had been thinking about the plight of these animals that are trying to survive alongside us Um, and then seeing it contextualized with this cosmic backdrop like I'd never seen it before and it was um, it was a really incredible experience and I think experiencing it completely on my my own was quite an unusual thing as well to not be able to tell anyone about it to not be there with somebody else looking out I think that would have been quite a different um, type of experience and so the sound piece is made using just the field recordings that I took in any way of the bird song um, and they yeah I use a couple of programs to manipulate the sound and it is to give a sense of the kind of experience that I had in that evening with the the kind of yeah Mm. So, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Just sort of experiencing this partly through what you're saying but also through the image that I see on your website, which is a picture of a night sky uh, image. And as I understand it, this was a picture in a gallery that was hung there and people were invited to look at that or was that, is this just... Yeah, is that how how it worked? Yeah, so Were they transported through the night sky, barren yeah, the so studio. But this piece yeah. has been experienced in quite through quite a few different live broadcasts. So um, for the first for the first broadcast, it was through my project with the Delfina Foundation, and people would sign up and then get sent a postcard with that image of the night sky, which I took on that evening, and instructions on how to join the event, and also a reusable eye mask Mm -hmm. as well. And the idea was to get people to 
to sign up and <laughs> click the secret link and then put the eye mask on and experience it with hundreds of people from across the world all at the same moment, all on their own with the eye mask, not looking at the phone or anything, listening to the sound piece and trying to be transported through the sound piece. And actually for the so that photograph you're talking about was taken in my studio, but the sound piece is just about to be exhibited for the first time in a physical setting with that image in a, at Grand Union Gallery in Birmingham in the UK. So it would be really interesting to hear how people respond because they'll be listening through headphones, looking at this image of the night sky in a really light-polluted city. So it would be really interesting to hear what people uh, think about it. And so when people are listening to the... yeah. What is what comes to me is it'd be really interesting to hear their initial impressions after they've heard it in their dark space, and then also to take them outside and get their commentary as well. Because I bet there's a a real eye opening experience that happens between yeah between going into. I would and really love to do that, and for the um, when people are listening to the live broadcasts or also on the podcast as well. You can send a response through a submission form on my website as well about what, what it makes you think about. Because I'm so interested in people's experiences of uh, the night sky and how important that they think it is or not important. So with that, we'd love to invite our listeners to, to experience it. And we will shortly cut to that and, and, and let everybody do so. Are they able to give comments on yeah, what they've experienced? Yeah, I can send well? you the link and maybe you can put it in the text of the podcast. But yes, if anybody would like to share their thoughts, mm-hmm. I would absolutely love to hear it. Please send it completely unedited. That's the whole point. Um, and while you're listening to the sound piece, I invite you to listen through headphones and also to wear an eye mask or a scarf over your eyes so you are completely immersed in the experience. Sounds wonderful. Sounds like a beautiful way to spend. Yeah. It's 10 minutes, isn't it? Mm-hmm. About 10 minutes long. So, um, yeah, give yourself give yourself a bit of time and a bit of space and really absorb it. Mm. Sounds wonderful. So before I'm going to let you go, I'm going to ask you one final question And because I was really struck by the fact that this was all perhaps inspired by your dad. And I'm curious to know what your strongest memory of spending time with your dad in a night sky was, if you got one particular story, or is it just a collection of thoughts? I think what dad gave me was just a real fascination with the night sky and trying to think about my place within the universe, I guess. And that was through conversations, through all of the amazing images of space that he had all through his house um, but also just looking out through his telescope from his garden um, and sharing that time together. It sounds pretty special and what you've said and what we know is quite unique you know not a lot of people get that experience you might have to go you might go camping with your dad every now and again but to do it in your own backyard is is it's pretty special. Yeah, it is. So, it is. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Louise, I've really enjoyed chatting with you and, and I can't actually wait to meet you when you come to Sydney because you've got a beautiful yeah. 
opportunity down here. I'm really excited to be coming to the Blue Mountains to spend a month at Big Sai with my partner and collaborator, John Hooper, with whom I run Collective, And we were really, really lucky to receive the 2020 Big Sai Environmental Art Award. And we're coming to create some work around the experience and the of the climate crisis within the Australian bush with a focus on that and also to try and understand the changes that the climate crisis is going to bring to the Australian landscape as well. And we are trying to bring in a cosmic perspective of this idea as well. So we'll be doing lots of time lapses and looking at the night sky and trying to experience it with the other artists as well. And so, yeah, we'll be spending a month long, a month walking through the Blue Mountains and hopefully coming into Sydney and meeting you and um, connecting with lots of really great people in Australia as well. Fantastic. Well, you'll have a really rich and beautiful experience up in the Blue Mountains, that's for sure. And I can't wait to see the the work that you create from it because I'm sure there's, you know, the, the Australian bushscape, the the nightscape, the soundscape that comes from our from our wildlife and the beautiful crystal clear skies that you'll hopefully experience up there if there's not bushfires or flooding rains, which we've had both of up there recently, and therefore a really perfect backdrop to talk about what you know your your message is about climate and our connection to it and how we might be able to fix it, I guess, in a way too. So, yes, please, I can't wait to see you. I look forward to hearing your creation there and, and I really look forward to hearing people's comments on your your work that you've very kindly shared with us as well, A Memory of Darkness. So thanks again, Louise. We look forward to seeing you in Sydney. Thank you very much.
Hello and welcome to A Memory of Darkness. I am Louise Beer. Thank you for joining into this collective listening experience. I am talking to you from Margate in Kent. Please take a moment to close the curtains. If you aren't already using headphones, please switch over to these now. Find a comfortable place to sit or to lie down and put your eye mask or scarf over your eyes. The sound piece you'll hear tonight is created purely from my field recordings of birdsong at Hiniwai Reserve on the Banks Peninsula in the South Island of Aotearoa, New Zealand. This piece depicts my experience of both wonderment and ecological grief in equal measure. Over the next minute, I'd like to invite you to think about the last time that you looked up into a clear night sky and outwards into our galaxy. Take a few deep breaths whilst you think about the endless Milky Way.
Carl Sagan wrote in Pale Blue Dot, Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. Thank you for being part of this listening experience. This was a memory of darkness.